Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. Well, hello, Christina. Very nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on. It means the world to me. Yeah. Hi. Nice to meet you as well. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. Really happy to have you. And of course, we always love to get the show started with a little bit of background, who you are, how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah. So my name is Christina Gosnell. I am currently um, working with Catalyst Cooperative. I help helped found Cattle Cooperative four or five years ago now um, when I was living in Boulder with a a few other folks from Boulder. Um, And we help advocates and researchers and sometimes journalists, which is always fun, um, access the data that they need about the electricity system. And yeah, I came into this work through climate advocacy, mostly um, doing like local, actually doing local climate advocacy in Colorado um, with Clean Energy Action, someone else you've emailed, with Leslie Glustrom, someone else we've interviewed Shout out in the Leslie, past. The yeah, Leslie's, Leslie's such a um, golden human on this earth. <laughs> like, uh, For sure. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, we were doing local work um, in Colorado and really wanting to do like data-driven advocacy and scraping together by hand all of the data that was out there about the like coal plants that exists that exist and are like you know spewing carbon in the atmosphere in, in Colorado was just really hard and time was just time consuming and tedious and we got the opportunity to like branch off and uh, start a bigger project that was dedicated to making sure that like there was easy and open access to climate data um, mostly for the like the smaller folks who don't have access to like pay for the large subscription service like the expensive subscription services um, that are out there or the utilities themselves would have, which have all of the data about their systems. So, um, yeah, we were, we started Catalyst and I did some zigs and zags, um, along the way doing a bunch of like, uh, energy regulation work. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, in my like non-professional world really love housing and uh, like affordable housing, cooperative housing, getting around by your own power or public transportation and all that kind of jazz. So I feel like yeah, all things um, dedicated all of time to like making sure that a our um, our systems are set up such that we can actually like address climate change um, in a bunch of different avenues. So yeah. very cool. Isn't the non-professional world great? Oh yeah, it's fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I always people. My partner always jokes with me because I always say like, you're like you look, you seem like you're working on it. Cause you're just like in a bunch of meetings and like, but those are not work meetings. It's like truly us. Yeah. So. Um, I've been out. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where are you? are not in Boulder anymore. Where are you now? I'm in Philadelphia now. I moved here uh, a little over three years ago now. Very so. cool. Are you working remotely for, for Catalyst then? Yeah, we, we've, we've been uh, a pretty small and scattered team for a while. So um, yeah, we've, we've been working remote for a while now. Um, Very cool. And where are you from originally? I'm from Maryland originally, just outside of Baltimore. Sweet. Um, yeah, so I'm like a little bit closer to home and definitely uh, back in the land of brick buildings. and <laughs> Totally. Uh, <Besides>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where'd your like passion and like the climate action stuff really originate? Any interesting stories? Um, 
I, I, it's hard for me to pinpoint the like beginning, but in, because I certainly like came of political age and awareness under in our current climate crisis. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm about to be 31 now. So like, yeah, I, I've, I've been thinking about this for a long time and, you know, even in like high school, it was very clear, like, Oh, this is, this is something that like I need to dedicate as much time as possible to basically um, because it's kind of make or break for our future. So um, yeah, it's just, it it's kind of started along. Yeah. It's, it's Marginally. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. And when I was in college, I really like, I went to see Boulder and um, studied in- <laughs> um, I studied environmental studies and, um, and political right. science. And like, it w- I kind of chose electricity as a space because it was like, you know, we have two big, two main emission um, contributors in the US, like electricity and transportation and tr- electricity at the time was the largest contributor. So, and also it's like, it, it's, it's simpler, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. like, even though like, like despite, yeah, despite the complexities of the electric system, which I like love to nerd out about, like it is a simpler transition um, than the transportation se- sector. So yeah, so I just, okay. I dove in. Can we nerd out about that a little bit for a second? Cause I was just going for a walk with my friend this morning and I'm like looking at these power lines that are just like, you know, they line the streets and we totally just take them for granted. And back, I'm from New Jersey and back, uh, back on the East coast, we would have like snow days or storms and, you know, trees would like come and like knock down the power line and the power would go out for like two days. And that was just like a normal thing that would happen back in Ringwood, New Jersey, which is like the border between New York and New Jersey. But it just seems like, like, I don't even, I don't, first off, I don't even know how these power lines work. Second of all, like, it seems like there could be like a better way than just these like thin wires to transport all this energy. I, I don't know. I figured I would throw that at you and see what you say. Yeah. The, so the, the lines that you see in like neighborhoods are the distribution network. Um, and so there's, there's like two, the grid has like kind of two main components. It's the trans transmission network and the distribution network. And when it's like in neighborhoods, like, um there's like you know big power the traditional old school version of the grid which is still largely the physical infrastructure of the grid is like big power plants over here load center over here big transmission lines from power plant to um substation substation is like the place where they um kind of make convert the electricity to a lower wattage so it can actually go into your home and not doesn't blow up the house yeah actually make a bunch of electricity that's distribution line yeah, so like transmission is like the house. long, the long distance one, and the distribution um, grid is to like in neighborhoods get actually delivers electricity to your home, uh, and businesses. Um, and yeah, the like I think that the biggest move around distribution networks is is actually like in especially places that are um, prone to a lot of snow, pr- prone to a lot of storms. Like undergrounding them makes them much more. That's what my friend said. Yeah, it seems like it makes more sense. It's expensive. It is expensive. Yeah, it's quite it's quite expensive, and also it just depends. Yeah, I think I I think actually Fort Collins moved to underground their their distribution network, and they decided to do that knowing that it was going to be quite expensive. Um, but knowing that like they that was the thing that they decided to value. Um, yeah, it's it's a trade off for sure. Like, I think that 
yeah, it's really a question of whether or not a community values those like relatively infrequent but high impact days mm-hmm. um, and where the costs are going to be incurred. Because generally speaking, those costs come from the ratepayers, and um, yeah, so it's it's a it's a it's a cost question generally speaking. Um, also, like moving more generation to- on the distribution side, like actually having more solar panels on houses makes the distribution network um, much more robust in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, especially if you design it right. Um, so that that also helps those those kind of like peak days and also the um, the storm moments. Right. I had no idea what the cost benefits analysis for something like that, but that's just funny that we were just talking about that <laughs> before. Um, all right, cool. Can you, before we kind of dive into catalyst, let's talk a little bit about your background, how you got to be doing what you're doing, yeah. like, you know, more in depth, I guess. Um, sure. so can mm-hmm. you tell me about like what you were doing at E9 Insight? Yeah. Yeah. E9 Insight is a uh, small consulting company that they, um, they help, uh, a wide range of clients kind of help them navigate the electricity regulatory system. So in, most states have, uh, a regulatory body that regulates the electricity system. They're usually called public utilities commissions in Colorado, they're called public utilities commissions or PUCs, PUCs. Um, and that's where a lot of the like nitty gritty um, in the weeds, but in very important decision-making happens. Um, a lot of times like the legislature will pass kind of broad sweeping kind of proclamations and then the PUC is where all of all of the implementation happens also all where all of the rate making happens so most of the nitty-gritty decisions about the electricity system happen at the PUCs Um, and yeah E9 Insight we helped like nonprofit clients research um institutions like government labs and stuff, as well as like private sector folks. Um, those are mostly like kind of grid edge, de- um, demand side management, energy efficiency um, companies and and some renewable developers as well, like understand that space. Um, I'll, <laughs> it, it probably won't surprise anyone to know that the our electricity regulation and policies are like not well set up for renewable energy and, <laughs> and energy efficiency, just like they're not well structured for that um and so it's it's really i got to i got to work with a lot of folks who were like i have this like really cool technology it's going to save customers money it's going to save tremendous quantity of electricity and um actually there's no market for it because that is not actually super attractive to utilities and the utilities are the ones that have to like install it on their in their system and um so it was like helping folks navigate the existing rules and sometimes helping folks understand like where things need to change um, so that they could do their own kind of advocacy push. Um, huh. Yeah, it was super fun. Um, it was started, E9 was started in, uh, also in Boulder, actually, yeah, also in Boulder. Um, Cameron Brooks is the um, the founder and president or whatever, and he's great. Um, wealth of knowledge. I feel like I got a crash course, generally speaking, in PC regulation uh, across the country to understand like what different states were doing, who was moving quickly, um, who was using like sort of nitty gritty, like interesting incentives versus who was just like, you must do this utility X. Um, And, and I, you know, got to watch the downside actors like play with those rules and like see which ones were easy to navigate and, and challenging. So I, I, um, 
yeah, it was really interesting and uh, fun to get to help folks and just understand more <laughs> about the electricity system. Um, and this like really important place in the like policy and decision-making um, universe that like is pretty opaque and um, has like really few decision makers overall, but has a huge impact. Yeah. I mean, you're saying like, it was really fun and I'm like, Hmm, like, I don't know <laughs> about that. But then, then you mentioned that you were like helping people and then you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. You're helping people navigate this complex stuff that is really important, but I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know anyone kind of working on like the utility side. Uh, what, what was the, that kind of like environment? Like, what are the people like who are, who are working on this stuff? Yeah, we definitely got, had a mix. Like I got to work with a mix of folks who were um, trying to sell directly to like, like renewable energy directly to consumers who were like much more kind of very, that's like a very, because of the way our system is set up, and because of how utilities make their money, like that's an adversarial relationship with the utilities. Like utilities don't right. want that to happen. They want to um, control the generation. They want more electricity sold. And that's just like how the incentives are structured. Um, to folks who are like, you know, selling AMI, meet, like uh, advanced meters to utilities. Um, and then those utilities were installing them on their systems. And those folks like necessarily needed to work much more in tandem with the utilities. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I, E9 as an institution as much is like, try to, tries to stay relatively neutral, um, as tries to, to be. yeah. And like Cameron has a consulting business that like, where he has his own, um, sort of opinions and like helps folks do that actual direct advocacy. Um, but E9, it, in some ways it was easy for me to be like, I'm going to tell you what's going on. You can do what you, what you want with it. And in the process, like I'm learning a tremendous amount about the, about the system and, and developing my own opinions that like, I will maybe tell you um, if you ask for them. Um, well, but that's why we'll, we're here. Yeah. We'll write them down for, and like stamp them with my E9 stamp. But, um, but yeah, basically I did a lot of translation of like big dense PDFs um, right that the utilities were, that the commissions were putting out uh, into like, small digestible human readable <laughs> um content so i'm i'm seeing how this leads to your next project so yeah. can you tell me and is it catalyst co-op is that right or catalyst yeah, yeah. catalyst cooperative yeah catalyst co-op catalyst cooperative so what is catalyst cooperative how did you get involved with it what was it like being in the co-founder all that jazz. yeah Ooh, catalyst origin story um yeah so i i actually um, so I helped start Kyle's co-op co co um, actually like it was, this was actually my pre-E9 work. <laughs> um, so like before, before I started working at E9, I, I know, yeah, I was, I was working at Clean Energy Action, um, and, uh, in, in Boulder and we were like trying to compile a bunch of data about the coal plants in Colorado, um, Excel's coal plants specifically to find the ones that were like good targets for advocacy um yeah and specifically we're trying to find the ones that had um were good targets and didn't have a tremendous quantity of um capital still tied up in them like capital is it, the undepreciated um capital which is like how much the, how much capital the utility still needs to like recoup from the ratepayers. um yeah, undepreciated capital is like a big barrier to for utilities specifically to like want to close plants. 
they don't, um, lose, they don't want to lose money. They don't want yeah, they don't want to lose money. It's a um if they close it early and and then there's this like big chunk of capital, typically utilities just to get get to turn things into what's called a regulatory asset, um, which is to say they get to collect on it, but it's uh it's not it's a fabricated asset. Um, collect anyway, collect like the, from who? The government? The, the rate payers. Um from so us. You, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, oh. me, all of us. Awesome. Um yeah, it's a it's a weird game of like especially um like integrated utilities that are regulated by their um commissions like they get a guaranteed rate of return and um that's set by the commission which like no other industry gets <laughs> um and when they spend money they are like entitled in this like regulatory compact like this regulatory uh agreement that we have all entered in um, whether or not we know about it or not um that they're gonna like if they spend money they're gonna get their money back um with a rate of return and so like utilities build plants with the expectation that like they're not going to recoup all of that money year one um because that would be a gigantic rate impact uh but they're they depreciate it over time and collect the money over time from the rate pairs um and if you retire a plant 10 years early, you have 10 years worth of undepreciated asset to um, recoup, but there's no asset lying around anymore. So, um, so yeah, we, we were working with a, um, a group of folks who were like doing capital recycling or like securitization, trying to, trying to figure out ways to um, remove that barrier in ways that were like generally equitable, um, but that the utilities wouldn't put up a gigantic fight about because um, you will probably be unsurpri un unsurprised to know that like utilities have a ton of power and just like kind of political um, weight in these decision-making processes, even though it's like they're helping regulate themselves. It would be great if they had, in my opinion, it would be great if they had less power in these decisions. They sound like they are part of the government. But they're also private companies at the same time, at least in, in the state of Colorado. They're, they are, they're fully private. Like, like Excel is the um, utility for um, the large majority of Colorado, especially the Colorado, like electricity and residents. Um, and they are private, like they're a private company. They're private. They're privately held. They're um, actually I think Excel is a publicly traded company, but um, mm -hmm. they, but they are this like, they're public, they're public utility. Like they are providing a, um, a service that we all think of as a like baseline um, because we have, you know, even from like the twenties and thirties, we have said like, we are going to electrify America. We are going to make these utilities um, that have these like kind of special rights in the economy and um, ensure that like they are, we can, we are, we enabled monopolies and in, in enabling monopolies, we created these public utility commissions it, to regulate them. But as with a lot of like regulatory spaces, like the, the utility has all of the incentive to, um, to try to deeply influence that, those like political decisions and regulatory decisions. And they have all the time and money to do that too. Um, so, so yeah, they have big, they have a big impact. They also have a huge, they also know all of the information about their system mm -hmm. um and they can share that like or not if it's not favorable to them which is like honestly like this is a part a part of the reason we started catalyst is because like the um sort of like public 
the sort of advocates don't have access to the data that the utilities have about their own systems in these like deeply technocratic regulatory spaces. So um, we wanted to like attempt to write that imbalance a little bit. Publicize um, the data. Yeah, and make sure that the like ad- the, ad- the advocates got decent enough data to make their um, to make their points um, and like run their own models uh, and like make their own assumptions and question the utilities assumptions, such that yeah we can attempt to level the playing field a little bit. You are awesome. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I get I get it. Um, do these are these regulatory committees seated by the public utilities? Like, are the people who own the private corporations oh, no. in yeah. the committees? Um, no, no. So in most states, the governor appoints the, the public utilities commissioners. Um, usually there's only three, of, like there's like three to five in most states. So like it's a very small number of actual individuals making these decisions. Um, yeah, typically the governor will elect, appoints them obviously utilities lobby for individuals to get like the utilities will uh, necessarily lobby the governors to have like favorable um, commissioners and most states the appointments need to be approved by the the legislative bodies Um, there are some states that elect their public utilities commissioners um, which has its upsides and downsides Um, but in you know a good example is actually Arizona when the utilities basically like propped up a a few candidates in one of their last elections and against some like pretty pro solar um folks who are running for the commission and they spend a ton of money uh in the in their in their like oh in the election of their commissioner so um it gets kind of it gets a little bit honestly more tricky and messy when the when they're when the commissioners are elected um but yeah, they don't have uh, the the utilities don't have like direct act, direct appointment power or whatever of the commissioners, but they they're interested. Again, yeah, they're interested. They operate in the political <laughs> system. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you have any idea how it works outside the U.S.? Um, I know that there. I know that there are similar like regulatory bodies. Um in other countries or certainly is in like Canada. Um, Canada has similar, like that's kind of the, the largest context I have is of Canada, which ha- like each of their um, provinces have similar bodies and like, and federal bodies as well. Um, yeah, it just, but that's kind of all of the context that I have to be honest. So I don't, I don't know. So does Excel extract fossil fuels in addition to like, refining them and providing energy like how does it like work like i'm thinking about like where is it government where is it business and where does it make sense for it to be one or the other because we need electricity and we need someone to find the source so i don't know i'm trying to work through all the logistics of how this works (laughs) yeah largely excel does not actually Actually, I think entirely Excel does not actually extract any. That's what I um, figured, yeah. Yeah, they buy, um, they have like short-term and long-term contracts for coal and natural gas, um, typically from other private actors. Um, and this is a fun fact. <laughs> uh, this is always, this is one of my like soapbox 
things hills and i'll die on um most utilities including excel directly pass the cost of fuel directly onto ratepayers. um so they have so for, like financially they don't care how expensive or inexpensive their fuel is um it like is a direct it's a direct pass through um it's in colorado it's through this thing called the electric commodity adjustment so literally each quarter or month they like adjust um the line on your bill, which is basically fuel. Um, and so they don't care if, if the fuel prices get really expensive. They also don't care to like find super cheap um, options or no fuel, no cost fuel options. Um, it just is not in their incentive structure to keep that low. Um, the, that comes up, like it, it matters peripherally, peripherally to them because if rates skyrocket, like consumers will complain um, as they should but it's not actually like in their financial interest to care. So they, it doesn't matter to them if, if they're, if coal costs go up um, and also doesn't, it's not, it doesn't really um, kind of constitutionally matter to them to like transition away to, to um, no, no fuel um, electricity sources. Although the no, the no fuel electricity sources, if they do get to own them, they're like entirely capital costs and capital costs mean, uh, earning a rate of return for them. So like they do have actually kind of a constitutional incentive to, to wanna, want to move that way, but um, they've just generally been slow on the uptick in that regard. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was long. I, I love talking about this kind of stuff because I, I, I don't know anything about it, any of this. And you've, you've like been studying this stuff and you figured out how to like, so are you, are you a nonprofit or a for-profit business? So Catalyst is a, um, is a, technically for-profit business it's a it's a co like registered as a cooperative in in Colorado which is like a traditional business but we are like one number one vote um and we, there's some like rules around what makes a co-op in Colorado so but your your like mission is to like publicize previously unavailable yeah. data right so like yeah. who are your customers then yeah, so we Catalyst is like partially is about half funded through grants and um, like foundation funding, mm -hmm. and because we are making open source data products, um, and we are as you have probably noticed have like a very much have like a public interest uh, mission at, at our mm -hmm. core. <laughs> yeah, um, and so we're about half funded through research uh, through uh, through foundations, and the other side is like our consulting work and the consulting work largely is um with advocates and like nonprofits who are trying to do that data driven um data driven advocacy and want like more you know our data we, we're kind of always trying to compile more and like make it more and more useful but like there's always more more to compile and more to like more analysis to do on top of the data so most of our clients are like basically asking for kind of different aggregations or new analysis to, to that we can build on top of the data. Um, so yeah, it's, ha it's partial non nonprofits and advocates and, um, and then some like research inst institutions. So either government research labs or um, some academic research labs who like want to do like deep decarbonize like deep decarbonization models for like what kind of resources we would build on the grid um and they need to understand our existing system in order to do that so they use our data to um do that economic dispatch modeling 
I just, I love this. This is so cool. Like I'm talking to like other people who are like finding these things that need to be done to like decarbonize. And like, I love how you're, I don't even know what to say. Let, let's, let's talk about the public utility data liberation project. How's that Great. going? How to get started? What's going on? Yeah. So it got started um, when we were like trying to scrape a bunch of like hand scrape a bunch of data for Colorado. And um, we realized how much toil and time was going into this like really manual data preparation for ourselves. And also like we had talked to a bunch of other advocates and other academic um, researchers who was like, we all have to do this like annoying, like curation of the like public openly accessible data. Um, but you know, like if data is not relatively usable, it's like, is it public? Like, is it like, there's a paywall there that is just individual's time. Um, so we got the opportunity um, through our partners that were like trying to do refinancing uh, general, like refinancing out of like early retirements and refinancing out of coal plants. Um, like they wanted to focus on more than just Colorado and just like, do a US-based advocacy push basically. And we were like, we, we would love to keep doing your data compilation, <laughs> um, but we can't do it manually. We can't do it manually in a way that is gonna be like efficient for anyone. Um, so they, 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 we, were, we were like a sub, subcontractor on a grant um, that like helped us kickstart Catalyst to, um, to, to build this like public data, open, open public data tool um, called Puddle. It's a public utility data liberation project. Um, Hype. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, the first few years, it was like touch and go. Like I was partially working, uh, I was mostly working at E9 in the early days because we had like stop and go funding. Um, but, but yeah, so we, early days we focused on like getting data into one uniform place. Um, we, we largely focused on data about the, um, like the existing fossil infrastructure. So like gas and natural gas and coal plants and they're like operational and capital characteristics. So like how much capital is, is tied up in the plant, how much money is being poured into it every single year um, for like upgrades and whatever. And just how expensive is a plant to run? Um, so the like fuel costs are the, is the biggest factor there, but also like kind of minor maintenance and kind of paying the employees that work there and not that kind of jazz is the like the capital side and the operational side of the data. Um, that was our initial push. And, um, and yeah, we've largely like kind of compiled a lot of that data in ways that are rel relatively like usable and ready for analysis. Um, since then we've like added emissions data um, from the EPA and um, much more data about utilities broadly. Um, so like there's some, the Energy Information Administration is, um, is a federal agency that's run by the Department of Energy that like publishes data each year about the electricity system and the gas system. And their data is honestly like pretty good, but um, we like, they publish it each year and a lot of folks want to like do multi-year analyses. So we grab every single year of data, squish it together um, and like do some cleaning and imputations and like make it a little bit more accessible to folks. Um, so our, our initial focus was really like get the data in one place, clean it up, make it like generally speaking analysis ready. We've 
are now, thank goodness, <laughs> finally in a place where like we're moving away from like just get the data in a place um, to like make sure that the data is that we do have is accessible um, and like publish it and distribute it in ways that like are much more like right now, like, you know, a year and a half ago, you would have to like go on the command line and like run some scripts. Um, and that's not, um, that certainly wouldn't have served my past self, you know, like who I was like strictly a spreadsheet user. And um, that was like where my skills were. And also that's all I really needed to know to do my job. Um, so we're, we're moving more and more towards like making a wide range of distribution platforms or like using a wide range of distribution platforms. So um, our data can like reach folks with varying different like technical skill levels, basically. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Making uh, it a lot more useful. Um, yeah. Very interesting. How do you think we can like use data to like create more efficient systems? Yeah, because if anyone's in business, like they know, like we should, if, they, if they're if they in business, you got to know by now that like data is like the new like gold. Like it's, it, it, it can tell you so much, whether it be about your customers, how your product works and everything. Like data is not even like the future. It's like the last 40 years. It's the present. I don't know. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I'm honestly of, like, I, I try to tell two stories kind of concurrently about data, especially in like political advocacy context. Um, data can't make decisions for us. It can't. Like we, we, we as humans like use in the information that we have access to, to make values-based decisions about what to do with the information that we have. So like you can see all the climate data that you possibly can and, and still not want to act on climate change because it's not in, it doesn't align with your values um so like data can't solve any of our problems <laughs> um but i think especially in that in these like technocratic um policy spaces and like regulatory spaces data is being used to legit like data is often being used by um utilities or other actors that have different values than me, certainly, um, uh, especially about like the future of our climate. Data is being used by them to make uh, so make values-based um, claims about what, what, what needs to happen in the future. Um, and like our theory of change is that giving, um, giving, giving, giving actors that like actually care about climate and deeply care about climate um, and, and also ratepayers and like their like ratepayer impacts, um, giving those folks data so that they can, they can play that same, like, Hey, look, I have the information that, that, and I am, I'm, I've done my homework. I have, I have done my modeling. I know that this is feasible and possible and we should move and like, we should deeply consider this other option. Um, yeah. Our, that's that's been our kind of theory of change. We're like give data to the people that um, we know can make those like eloquent policy proposals in spaces that right now they don't really have the same like data footing um, as their kind of counterparts. So yeah, they don't probably don't have the time and resources to go through and sort through like 
terabytes and terabytes of information. So yeah. bless you guys for, for providing an awesome <laughs> utility, I might call it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so let's let's end the show by talking about some of your personal opinions, because I'd love to hear. It's been yeah. a pleasure talking to you. You're a very uh, happy person, which is nice. Um, I want to ask you, what do you think some of the most important lessons you've learned in your like 10 year plus career working to advance like climate and energy policy? Yeah, I think that um, that's a tough one, because I, I lately I've been a little um <laughs> I'm happy, but I've also been like a little despondent, honestly, about our ability to like make, like do collective action in a way that is um, like moves us forward. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, As I said before, like, like I. It's exhausting. It is like, and like, I've been um, like professionally really focused on the uh, electricity sector and there's a lot of movement there and that feels encouraging uh, but there's like we're not moving fast enough at all let's and- dive into this let's let's talk about like your your despair and stuff <laughs> over climate change. i mean it's totally normal like it's oh, and, and, and for me it like so fluctuates real. on on the day but like what what is is getting you down the most and let's see if we can t- even just talk about maybe how to get around that yeah, I think that, um, so, yeah, the, the, like, the electricity side of things, like, it's moving slow, and there are big actors that are, like, the big bad guys of sorts, where, like, it's fossil fuel industry and utilities, and it's, like, clear that these um, legal entities are, their incentives are aligned for our future being sustainable and prosperous, um, and that, and it's easy to be like, it's, it's, it's easy for me to imagine um, different economic models and like different regulation that makes um, their influence over the regulation a little bit less. And also just like realigns their incentives to make sure that they're not like carbon burning machines like that. It's easy for me to understand their actions. Um, and then on the like, on the transportation and and like housing side of things, like I, <laughs> I have found I have I've like I'm much more nervous, honestly, about that side of our transition, um, because it's not like the big bad developers are sometimes a giant pain and like do and also have incentives that aren't necessarily aligned with um, certainly with affordability. Um, always but like the bad guy like my bad guys like the the um the barrier that I see to like kind of more walkability more um more like transit oriented neighborhoods like it's mostly homeowners who are scared um of like changing the changing nature of their neighborhoods um and that happens everywhere like I experienced it really big time in Boulder (laughs) Um, and have a lot of like individual personal connections with folks that I like, really tried to, um, tried to like much more deeply understand as humans, like where their motivations were coming from. Um, but yeah, I just feel like, like that space, like I don't, it's hard because there are these like big things that we probably should do that like require a lot of change and change is scary for humans. Um, 
And it also happens all the time. Yes. <laughs> like a version of similar to climate change, like housing affordability is like one of those things that like, if you don't do anything about it, like something is happening, like you're deciding to not do anything about it. And therefore things are going to get more expensive. Um, and yeah. And that's, it's just, it's, it makes, it's really sad. <laughs> it's sad to watch like people who are really lovely and like care about like it, it, honestly I, I watched a lot of the people who I like um admired and cared about and like looked up to in a lot of ways in in what they were doing with like energy and energy advocacy and like renewable energy work um just like directly turn around and when it came to housing like n- there was no way that there was no future for me in Boulder <laughs> like I left in large part because it was um very clear that I like I wasn't going to be able to uh find stable housing and none of my friends were either and like yeah it just sucks and it is having everywhere like Boulder is not a unique case in this regard by any means um it's just like kind of far down that path where it, it's it's like very hard and kind of untenable um for a lot of folks so. yeah well you're getting into like wealth inequality like there's a lot of like humanitarian issues i'm like wondering if like you're most like you're thinking things aren't going to change when it comes to like environmental stewardship or living in reciprocity with the land and more of like greedy capitalists we all only care about ourselves because i've like i've yeah. like going through this podcast talking to all sorts of different people i've like dove deep into like what is this i'm a i'm a philosophy minor as well so i like this stuff (laughs) but when it comes to like my business venture i've decided to become narrowly focused specifically it's like co2 like carbon because that's like one thing that i think can help like everyone at the same time so rather than trying to like figure out how to fix like life i'm just like okay the 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 uh, whatever the uh, the climate system is warming that leads generally leads to like more death if I like can cool that down we'll be good so yeah. I'm I'm pretty optimistic on that unlike a lot of people who are like oh we're we're too late we're screwed I, I I'm interested in invi- yeah. um, regenerative in that headspace yeah <laughs> no like but like regenerative agriculture carbon sequestration direct air capture like I yeah. really think there's a lot of opportunities both um, socially and economically to to fix the climate. So I'm not like in despair on that. But then if you go into like biodiversity and like how much land usage we're in. So like, I'm, I'm like wondering where you're like getting like most caught up in. Yeah, I, I think that I get frustrated sometimes when people are like, especially I'm a, certainly like a lefty. Like I get sometimes, like sometimes I get annoyed when people are like, we have to, we have to change, we have to like break down capitalism in order to fix the climate because capitalism caused climate change. And also like, we kind of do, you know, like there are, there are slices of- Break it down. It's like, I don't think our, I don't think our like economic system is, our economic system is only working for a few. And, and that shows up and plays out in like so many different places and it's causing so much harm along the way. And I think that it, it, it seems to me like a big part of the reason that that there's so much fear around change in this in this country, but also around the world, is that like we are scared that we're not going to get our needs met. And we're scared that we're gonna be, you know, like 
conditions are going to change so materially that um, we're not going to get our, yeah, we're not going to get our material needs met. And that's scary. You know, like that's a reasonable fear. Um, especially in this country when there are so many people who are like truly on the brink of, um, of economic catastrophe. Like it's not, I think, I personally think that it's been a positive change to like have the environmental community like more and more think and care about and know like notice that there are like economic um and racial disparities in the world and that like those can't be ignored when we're um when we're having when we're thinking about climate change like all climate change is like so interwoven like the solutions to climate change are so interwoven with so many parts of our economy um that like we need we need to pay attention <laughs> we like you know yeah we need to pay attention to all of the like intricacies of how it actually how these potential changes would impact people's lives and like sometimes we need to we need to say like some people's val some people's like the harm that's going to be caused by some people is like or to some people is like more important. Um, like certain harm is more important than others. And I think we have a really hard time of like uh, assessing harm and risk and like weighing them and being honest about that. Um, or like, yeah, like it's, I think that, yeah, we need, we need to be in some ways like you're, you know, if someone is like really, really, upset about the color of a building, but like that color is going to cause like a tremendous quantity of benefit to many individuals. Like, eh. fuck them. Paint the building, like, <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. So I think that we need to get a little but bit But should we about... force people to paint the building if someone privately <laughs> owns it? Uh, yeah, um, sometimes, maybe, it depends on how, how, how big of an impact would it have like if it is like I am certainly not above those like more like we must do this um and I, I I think I've come to that over time especially from watching uh utilities in particular like skirt around or like you know like do this like lovely dance around their like incentive-based regulations um Sometimes you just got to tell people what has to happen because it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Christina, you're a delight to talk to. I just want <laughs> you to know that. Um, really <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's been a pleasure. Um, obviously I have my own thoughts on what you're saying, but this is, this show is not about me saying my thoughts. I do that enough in my vlogs and videos. Um, tell me, tell me about, about this vision that you would have for the future. If you could kind of, uh, engineer things you could focus on utilities and electricity if you want or just kind of I'm just really interested like I'm I'm definitely picking up the vibe you're putting down but like what would an idealized version kind of look like to you um I I it, it's hard for me to not start that like the, the my vision of an idealized world with like an understand like a a revisioning of what is sort of a good life um for individuals because I think that for me that like really grounds a vision of a future like I would love to live in a world in which like we had individuals had more time and maybe less things um, are like you more... all are you into like degrowth 
Um, it, many of the tenants of degrowth are very attractive to me. <laughs> um, yeah, there like there's. I haven't like explored the philosophy enough to be honest. To like, mm-hmm. there are there are still are there still big questions that I have about degrowth to be honest, um, especially around like mass mobilization around climate solutions and and the like. There are like I think the U.S. needs degrowth, um, but like, does India? No, like I don't. You know, like there are like and maybe eventually or like there are there's there's I think we need a a rebalancing of what is a good life and I think that yeah this like rat race that we all play in the U.S. that kind of sucks it just sucks yeah like I want I want more free time to like do the things I care about and like go on bike rides um and like spend time with my loved ones and yeah and really like center the the like a care and and care and community and that is a kind of it, it doesn't it doesn't need to be like we could get there in a way that wasn't a radical reimagining of the u.s economy um but like i think in a way that in a way that is a radical reimagining of the u.s economy um in it's, a way that, like, it's always being reimagined by the next generation that comes <laughs> yeah. up uh have you ever been to sweden i have not been to sweden you yeah. might want to check you might want to look into it it's an interesting place yeah you might yeah. you might enjoy that grand Very cool travel plan post whatever this post is pandemic <laughs> post the post pandemic yeah okay yeah fair enough um i get it i could definitely get on board with uh free time and loved ones um so i appreciate you sharing um back to more pragmatic stuff yeah, yeah. um important climate actions or policies you think are most effective to actually get substantive action anything comes to mind i think that we need like broad uh renewable energy targets like across the board like we know that they work we know that they just like there are a bunch of like fiddling around the edges that folks are doing at commissions which i find really like fascinating and important and also like we need to retire coal and we need to retire gas plants largely speaking like we need to move and we need to move swiftly and i think that like mandates in that context work really well (laughs) um um, so yeah in the electricity space i like just mandate the utilities provide renewable energy especially right now that that we know that that can happen in almost all places in an economically efficient way for ratepayers um that's really like number one um and yeah and i yeah i think that there's a ton of there's a ton of like more nuanced and interesting like policy initiatives that i find attractive like i think that um finding ways to actually value distributed resources like solar on your roof um but in ways that yeah can like grow into the future and it can be robust and like we're not just like kind of profligately putting um like right 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 now we need to like put solar wherever we can imagine you know like um like eventually we need to like 
choose wisely, you know, like eventually I want the system gets like 10% distributed research, like we're so far away from that um, universe. Um, and like those eventualities have really interesting, like nuanced tech technical, uh, like questions and solutions, but for now, like we need to just blanket things. Um, so yeah, and I, I, I <laughs> this is kind of um, more meta, but I also think that like, I think states, should can and should fund public interest groups being at public utilities commissions um a few states do this right now but like it's hard to scrape together the resources to show up and show up in a meaningful way in those spaces utilities have kind of an endless not an endless but like a large pile of their profits to like use in those spaces and uh if we understand the like political economies of those spaces, we should also value the other folks who are like attempting to balance the utilities opinions. Um, that's kind of a meta thing, but I think it's important. No, your perspective is awesome. I really, I really appreciate it. It's been, it's been really great chatting with you as, as mm -hmm. expected. Um, final question is always just what advice do you have for young people who are passionate about creating a positive impact? Cause we can do it if we keep trying. We definitely can. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I guess as a almost 31 year old, like I'm officially like not, not in the young bucket. Um, yes, you are. I know. I'm like, it's, it's a 35 or whatever. If you're a millennial, you're in the club. You're fine. Definitely millennial, <laughs> squarely millennial. Um, yeah, I, I think that for me, it was really important to take time to like, like there's two sides of how I chose my path to walk down. One was like, what is going to provide the biggest impact? And for that, I like took time to attempt to understand like the electricity system is, is a big problem and it's like not technology that's in the way it's policy. Um, and, and then there's the other side of that coin, which is like, what do you like to do? Um, like I kept finding myself like playing in spreadsheets, try to answer questions. Um, and like now all day I get to like play in data, um, not in spreadsheets anymore, but like just play in data to answer questions. And um, so yeah, both sides of those, of that coin of like, what is, what do you think is important? And um, what are you like drawn to in terms of tasks? Because like work is always going to feel like work, like it's going to be work, um, but you hope like hopefully will enjoy it <laughs> to a degree. Um, yeah, also, you know, student debt is a giant problem. <laughs> and like, uh, like I was really lucky uh, because I got a tremendous quantity of like scholarships and um and grants to like I didn't come out of undergrad with a saddled with a tremendous quantity of debt and for folks that are like walking into their and and for me because of that I was able to like take lower paying jobs that I thought had that I thought had a much bigger impact um much bigger positive impact so yeah finding ways where you can like not be super duper in debt which is like a sh terrible piece of advice for folks who are already in debt college <laughs> could not not go to college i mean yeah yeah youtube or, is pretty cool yeah and like finding there. ways to you know if if you're walking into if you want to if like you want to go to college because some 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 fields like need 
need a degree and some don't. And it's important to walk into college knowing that like, I want to get this specific degree um, because I want this end. And I don't think we give young people enough like space to make that decision. They're kind of just like, we were all, I was certainly like just funneled into undergrad. Um, I was kind of laser focused. So like I knew what I wanted to do, <laughs> um, but, but a lot of folks aren't and that's okay. It's okay for them to like take a waitressing job or like whatever, like wait a tiny bit to like understand what they actually want to do with themselves. And it's okay to change that. It's okay to like, you know, not know and change your decision. Um, but trying to figure out ways to navigate life so that you can like not need to maximize your income um, is will end up opening opportunities in terms of actual like climate impact. I could not agree more. And it was absolutely delightful having you on the show today, Christina. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. It really meant the world to me. And thank you for sharing. Talking about, we hardly ever talked about like the logistics of utility. So thanks for sharing that and sharing it with a smile. It makes it much more digestible for people. <laughs> I, uh, I, I try hard to, to make things like semi-communicable. Um, sometimes I get a little lost in the weeds, but, uh, but this was super fun. I appreciate um, these questions and it's been, it's been fun to... Um, go for it rattle on <laughs> really about it. all these things that i care a lot about yeah and we appreciate you so thanks so much for coming on and of course everyone we will see you next week because we are doing two episodes a week now cha-ching let's go see you on whatever the next day is of changing the climate y'all have a great day Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate. Here at Climate Change Realty, we don't just donate 50% of our net commissions to fight climate change. We also donate a full 50% of our real estate referrals. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.